Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Vanity Fair. That'd make you William the fifth. Better than second. He was assassinated by his brother. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Hilary Busis. And I'm Chris Murphy. And we're here to discuss the final episode of the final season, season six, of the Netflix series The Crown. Episode 10, it's called Sleep, Deary Sleep. And while Rome burns and the temple falls, we will sleep, deary sleep. Later on, executive producer Suzanne Mackey, who is Peter Morgan's right-hand woman, will be stopping by to talk about the end of The Crown and how they put this finale together. But first, our final recap. The Queen is planning her funeral, but Charles is angling to plan a wedding and make Camilla his queen. Are you having any last-minute doubts? Not me. I'm in. For all of it? For whatever being married to you turns out to be. Prince William and Harry are off to a costume party. I wonder what could go wrong. (laughs) Germany had an empire, didn't they? What about this? I don't know. Maybe cover the swastika? Oh, come on. Wearing the outfit doesn't make him a Nazi. The Queen wrestles with the idea of stepping down to hand the shop over to Charles as his wedding gift. But she's visited by two queens out of the past. This system is a dreadful thing to inflict upon people. It's not natural. It's not fair. But you seem to thrive in it. And more importantly, it seems to thrive under you. And the crown ultimately proves too strong, and the queen queens on. The system makes no sense anymore to those outside it, nor to those of us inside it. So I feel like one of you predicted that 
this show was going to end with Charles and Camilla getting married. I and think it was me. I'm going to have right. to hand that to Hillary. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think you, I mean, you called it exactly. Like, <laughs> the true love story yeah. of The Crown. Yeah. Mm. Do, we, do we buy this as a logical ending place for the series in terms of like Charles and Camilla get married, thus preparing him for being king while the queen has a sort of career crisis, if you want to call it a career is that does that make sense as like a sort of stopping point for the show? Well, thematically, I guess you know it, it's called the Crown, but it is effectively still mostly about Elizabeth. Yeah. So I guess in in as much as you want to give her an arc and end with her, then I think it makes sense because I guess if you go beyond two thousand five, like what's she really doing? Yeah, until right. we get to. 2017 or whenever when Megan gets into the picture. I mean, it's like, right. if we're if we want to avoid all of the the craziness that is to come in terms of William and Harry and Megan and Kate and the rumors and the nastiness, if you will, right. then you got to end it like around here. And this is as good as place as any. But I felt myself being like, damn, there's a lot more to this story that we're not getting into, and that I guess we'll just never see play out on the Crown in terms of what happens with the whole family. Yeah, I mean, this episode, um, I mean, there's a lot to talk about in this episode, but I, 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 because you brought up the Harry thing, like, I think that obviously with the William and Harry stuff in this episode, kind of like they're fighting, there are some loaded looks cast at each other, there are little moments of reconciliation. The show is trying to say it's going to be a bumpy road for these boys going forward. I don't know that that's enough because it was less of a bumpy road and more like, one of the cars drove off the road, yes. <laughs> you know, like, and and I think that to not, well, look, to not approach the sort of race angle of what Meghan Markle, in, you know, represented to that family and whatever, mm-hmm. that's the worst example of the show soft peddling I can think of to date, maybe. I mean, the Prince Philip stuff, too. But, like, it's also just like you're, you're, you're leaving juicy television yeah. on the table. So much. And, again, this was, I understand why they ended here and... Imelda Staunton, you know, a treasure of an actress, and we got a lot of her facing her mortality and long looks at the camera and a lot of just, you know, less stiff upper lip acting and more like, let me look back on my past mm-hmm. acting. But I was like, it's a little anticlimactic. It's a little boring when there's so much say, juicy stuff she coming. Was, she was walking along that hallway That for was a long walk. A <laughs> is, I, I was like, oh, it's still going. Good Lord. Oh, she's going to go all the way to the door and then out the door and then the door is going to close. Of okay. course. Well, queen is, the queen is an angel and that mm-hmm. was, those were the gates of heaven, yes. opening sure. up, welcoming her in. There is, yeah. you know, there there is a. We're being a little hard on it. I yeah. mean, there's there's a moving aspect to it. Yes. Like you know, it's natural for somebody her age to have to confront her mortality. But when you are the queen, and when you are you know head of the line of succession, and you know your death is not just like the death of a person, but sets a whole, like, chain. you know, machine into motion, a whole chain of events, yeah, then, I mean, that must be very strange. Like, I, I think that there's there's a poignancy to, you know, watching her have to, having to plan her own funeral. Like, mm-hmm. there's, uh, that's not something that a person usually does. No, it's not. I mean, I also think that within the context of the show, let's forget the actual real history and what's to come and what, what, what came before. I am always a sucker for what a long, strange trip it's been kind of endings with like her dialoguing with the past Elizabeth mm, and just yeah. thinking, oh, wow, we've traversed so <laughs> many years with these characters. I'm yeah. doing air quotes. And then Philip having, I thought for the crown, a really interestingly despairing speech up to her about mm-hmm. like, well, well the, yeah, the whole thing's going to fall apart. It's over it's when over. you die. <laughs> but we'll, look, we'll be dead. We, it doesn't, doesn't bother us. The good thing is it's not our problem. This 
is where we will be, you and I, right under this stone. We'll never hear the screams from inside there. Philip. What? You know I'm right. Like, yep. I thought that was interesting mm-hmm. for a ta- you know, tack for the show to take. Um, what it says about Peter Morgan being a royalist or not, or if he thinks that, like, let's say Harry ruined the monarchy. I don't think that that's what Peter Morgan would say. But I think that for the show to acknowledge that the death of Elizabeth is really the beginning of the end of all of this yeah. uh, was a surprisingly bleak Yeah, no, that, that final moment, you know, before before her long walk. Yeah, <laughs> he says, uh, he says, all human things are subject to decay we're a dying breed. The system makes no sense anymore to those outside of it, nor those inside it. It's like, whoa. Okay. You are really laying all the cards on the table in a way that, yeah, I didn't think that the show would, considering just a few episodes ago, we got like, no, all the traditions are perfect. Like, we should and, never change anything. Yeah, yeah. I was, I guess I won't say pleasantly surprised, but I was like, whoa, that is a somewhat of a critical take on the crown. And it does ultimately serve to show how important Lizzie is. And I do think... Having and he, Claire, she's been kind of lost at this point on the show because mm-hmm. Diana was so much more interesting than her. Like, and then William and Kate episodes, is more yeah. interesting. And so, you know, we haven't had a moment to really sit with the queen other than her, you know, her big night out, mm-hmm. <laughs> BE day. Oh, right. But <laughs> I was really, what really worked for me too, along with Prince Philip being like, well, it's over, kids, was uh, the invocation of Claire Foy and Olivia Coleman coming back. That I really did enjoy, the ghost of the past, her yeah. looking back at her it's a, it's former a very selves. like It's a very, like, TV device. But, you know, I still, I, I love it. Well, honey, it's TV. We got, yeah, we got yeah, it's TV. Why not? Give me a reunion. And it's not a reunion because they never acted together before. No. And to see them and to see her in conversation with herself about something that's, let's be honest, she probably never really considered that much. Like, I don't know how much she like ever. Th- whether, you know, retirement was ever something that was on her mind. Yeah, that she seriously yeah. considered. But yeah. it ultimately doesn't matter because it's a television show. And that provided the episode, a somewhat disjointed episode, with a great through line and a narrative arc that did make sense. Because when you're 80, yeah, I think it's totally fair to be like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Yeah. And I think those arguments were pretty well constructed. And what's well funny constructed. also is that it's, it's uh, middle-aged Olivia Colman who was like, you're tired, you should finish this. But like young Claire Foy, who's like... You said you would do this for life. Fuck up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, Right. Where's that stiff upper lip? Yeah. Yeah. And I also thought the moment when she's, you know, futzing with the video, the, the movie projector, and then she gets it to work. And then she's what she's watching is clips from her father's funeral. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's Elizabeth about to become queen. And she walks up to the wall where it's being projected and touches her old self. And like, if I saw that in like a play off Broadway, I would be like, that's the most moving thing I saw. <laughs> yeah. this year, you know? totally. And maybe it felt a little over egged on TV. But I was also like the way that this episode addresses the fact that she really did have to kind of murder her former self, smother it in bed, and then become this other thing, but still didn't forget who she used to be. Maybe, you know, she maybe she's fantasizing, like um, romanticizing it mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, she was never like a woman. Of, she wasn't like a normal person. But yeah, yeah no, it's, it's very like, clear-eyed when, yeah. when she, you know, hears, hears her younger self be like, yeah. no, there aren't two Elizabeths. Yeah. Like, right. It's just one. you. Right. right. I, this is what it was. Yeah. I really thought that Queen Elizabeth in that moment when she touched the screen, she was going to start singing She Used to Be Mine from Atreus. <laughs> like, that's, that was the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. This yearning for something that she no longer has, that she never maybe did, that I, it was, it was affecting. And I thought that... And Elda Staunton is a really good oh, musical performer. Oh, and amazing. And amazing. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's the final episode. It's going chronologically. So given the time period, it, there are some things that have to be sort of awkwardly shoehorned in. Like, we can't just say goodbye to Elizabeth. We have to also, you know, wrap up the Charles and Camille storyline and then 
you know, there is there is the Harry and William aspect, which really is is kind of discordant <laughs> compared to all of this like Elizabeth and succession and mortality stuff. Yeah, I, um, and its position on Harry on Harry and the Nazi uniform is uh, maybe as puzzling as its position on well, Elizabeth's greatest it's secret. It's kind of lack of position. I yeah. when I was watching it, I sort of. Obviously, I pay so much attention when I'm watching these episodes, but I kept rewinding, being like, "Did I did I miss a scene where they sort of dealt with the aftermath of the events of Harry dressing like a Nazi to a party?" I mean, they they set it up as like, "Will Egdemo?" Nobody had any sense, you know, and everybody was too Even British. Kate's like, "Oh, oh, Harry, you know, <laughs> I like, wouldn't do that." But yeah. Charlie, Hay, like, I it's mean, like what, for what it's worth, in spare, Harry says that William and Kate encouraged him to wear the costume. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I guess the show didn't go that far, but it went so far that everybody turns a blind eye. And then we get one scene of Harry, like, hitting himself on the toilet, mm-hmm. like, being like, fuck, fuck, I can't believe I did that. But it's not because he did it. It's because he got it's caught. It's in the papers. Yeah, yeah, it's because it's in the papers. There's no sort of accountability there. And then the only sort of fight we get is, like, 30 seconds of him and William fighting in front of Charles, and Charles mm-hmm. is being a bridezilla and is like, don't let this overshadow my wedding. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, there had to be... If we're going to bring this up, if we're going to go so far as to recreate that party, to not use our—and again, we don't know what actually happened. We don't know the conversations that had in the aftermath. But to not give a little bit more space to the fantasy of the reckoning that must have happened, that should have happened, seemed a little bizarre to me. The fact that, you know, they—like, Elizabeth and Philip, like, they lived through the Blitz. Yeah. They're— they're in the Allies. Like, you would think that it would be a bigger be deal. a bigger deal for your grandson to dress like a Nazi. Philip making a, that little joke, being like, you got the costume wrong. I was like, right. that's, that's what his reaction? That's what, and also, that's what we're using real estate in this show right now to do when mm. we have so little left, and you're making the decision to include this, which timeline makes sense. I was just a little, <laughs> I was a little confused. <laughs> well, Elizabeth's uncle and his wife, Wallace Simpson, were... By some accounts, Nazis. Nazis. I I think that the the royal family has a conflicted relationship with that era. Um, I mean, I guess they are German going back. Right, exactly. But I do think that, like, using this Harry, well, they would call it a, you know, indiscretion or whatever. Well, and they even have Tony Blair being like, ah, I used to get in trouble all the time. Boys will be boys. Boys will dress as Nazis. (laughs) To use that as an example toward the end of the episode of Elizabeth just being better at being a royal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, look at her, all, all, everyone, all of your, you know, descendants f- keep messing up and mm-hmm. doing all this stupid stuff and you're the only one who gets how to do this. And it's like, I think there's more at play in <laughs> Harry doing that than, than like, he's not his grandma. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I just, I mean, I get that, like, again, this is a TV show. They have to kind of sew themes together. But, you know, especially when Harry seems to have reformed a lot in in recent years and then i just i just don't like the implication that that's made if at all very very subtly that Harry's going to do more things that embarrass the family. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of his arc. Which I is mean, like Megan, you know? like <laughs> Yeah, and I will say the show kind of tries to rehabilitate Harry a little bit. They have him playing with the little girls. He's so good with the children. and He does have to muck out that stall. He's got to muck out the stall yeah. and whatnot. So it's not that they completely let him off the hook, but I totally agree that it's like, well, he's the black sheep of the family, and he made this sort of wild mistake, yeah. and then he's got a lot more coming. Uh, felt 
weird and like a weird like a weird place to end. In, in, in some ways, I think I felt like this is a weird place to end. Well, there, this story. there are a yeah. few ways that uh, the last episode is kind of mashing things together that don't necessarily mesh. It's you know making your like Superman toy and your like Barbie toy kiss. You're just like <laughs> pushing them together. Like it has it has Tony Blair talking about like Iraq and like mm-hmm. the exit strategy and the Queen like somehow makes that about her funeral, which yeah. is like yeah. maybe sometimes things aren't about you yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> everything reflects back on Elizabeth in this episode yes. in, in, in ways positive like I weirdly think the Harry thing is used to be like well yeah again she's better at it but also and Elizabeth does allude to this that like these people have not been good parents and not 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 Elizabeth and Philip not Charles so they're trying to kind of nuance the, mm-hmm. the portrait of Elizabeth but yeah everything in this episode points back at her in a way that like I get because the show is about her but I don't know it doesn't really satisfy the history. juxtaposition sometimes is a little forced yeah so on that note of Elizabeth being a bad parent, her just letting the archbishops and all of them be like, we're going to make Charles and Camilla repent for 75% of their wedding. <laughs> they have to shame themselves Shame the themselves time. the yeah. whole time. And her being like, yeah, okay, that's fine. It was so crazy. And then to watch, there, there was some really great acting in that moment. To watch how uncomfortable to sit in that for so long was it is kind of delicious. It's wild that it happened. Yeah. It was kind of delicious and it was good television. But it was like, oh, yeah, she still doesn't give a rat's ass about... Protecting her child child or being nice to his the love of his life. And in the show's, uh, you know, argument or portraiture, whatever you want to call it, like, and and I think this is true of real life as well. Like, Elizabeth, unlike Margaret, unlike Charles, unlike a lot of other people in that family, never had to give up great love to satisfy the needs. Like, Philip was her great love. And, Mm -hmm. oh, look, he's— Her cousin, too. And he's (laughs) Right. And he's he's eligible to marry, and so we're fine. And she's not very sensitive to the fact that, like, she essentially—when she denied him Camilla 30 years prior, she was— basically setting all of this in motion but it's no it's not her fault you know it's yeah. it's uh he's the he's the dummy and he has to repent uh, on the altar and isn't it so nice of her even in the first place to let this happen like there is right. that aspect too that right. how she's grown so much so she's even allowing this to happen it's like sort of like a win for elizabeth where then yeah just it feels like a moment in which like the show could maybe be a little more critical or especially since it's been so sympathetic to charles you kind of would think that but i don't know it's 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 the end and so i guess maybe we're just taking a more celebratory perspective or something. I, I, I also, I don't know, all of the, all of her waffling about stepping down, I, I'm not sure how well that worked for me too, just because we know that she didn't. I just like, want to, well, yes, that, but also I think that should have been introduced a couple episodes earlier. Yeah. yeah. You that's know, fair. as like a possibility, you know, because I, I mean, obviously William said the thing about they people are saying that Charles should, mm-hmm. should, you know, step out. But, um, but, but, the idea that in just this one episode, all of a sudden, Elizabeth is having this enormous decision to make. It feels that she, abrupt. That she invented the decision, yeah. you know, yeah. herself. Nobody's making her do right. it. I will say I did like how it affected other people in terms of, like, Charles getting so giddy. He's like, I'm getting married, but maybe I'll also be king. And he's, like, <laughs> getting so excited about it. And then it's like, it's like that Jessica Lang. I was watching it, and, uh, you know, that Jessica Lang meme where it's like, there's not going to be a coronation, you stupid slut. Like, I <laughs> yeah. wanted to scream that at the yeah. TV. So I did enjoy what it engendered sort of, uh, you know, for other people in the show. And it was fun to see the queens come back and her wrestle with her past self. But it did feel like... Mm-hmm wholly fanciful like a completely made up subplot to end to end the series yeah I mean I I can't uh, 
I can't say that I personally appreciate the beauty of bagpipe music, but I, I very much bought that she did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you didn't oh, love you no, didn't love yeah. that. It's not on your Spotify Wrapped. You know when the when the like housemaid starts singing along. It's, yeah. it's, uh, uh, again, that was another moment of theater that I was yes. like, you know what? I like it. I don't, I don't care that the it's show. It's sort of you know, a reverse. Uh, tomorrow belongs to me. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> very much. Exactly. No, I. I well, mean, and until Harry yeah. shows up. Wait. Did the queen wear white to Camilla's wedding? I also made a note of that because what an incredible flex. Absolutely absurd. In Britain, is that not rude? No, it has to be rude all <laughs> over the place. And she's literally the Miss Manners. The queen is Miss Manners for her to wear a white outfit to, to her was, daughter-in-law's. <laughs> and then to do a tight five in the speech instead of saying, really, she said one nice thing about Camilla and like one nice thing about Charles, but she was like was talking mostly, about her. Mostly roasting. <laughs> mostly about horses. Like, can we put Which the horses in Calling them old. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and yeah, and implying that the race is more interesting than her son's wedding yeah. <laughs> to the love of his life. Like, no, I mean, that's like, that's like a saucy, that's a saucy scene. It's, I, I think that the, the waffling about whether or not she's going to step down stuff was like not super successful because, you know, you know, the end of that story. But, like, it has more personality than I think we got to uh, to see from Imelda Staunton. Like was until, that queen in episode six? Right. right. I don't know. I wish I wish that there had been more time for that, to see her personality. And, I mean, I don't know, according to Aaron Vanderhoof, who, you know, has appeared on the podcast um, and is a royals expert, like, yeah, the, the queen was known for, you know, being witty. We did see it. Well, she played a good joke on Camilla by wearing white. <laughs> <laughs> That's the punchline to a 30-year joke she played on Camilla. Yeah. <laughs> And I did it laugh. It was a long con. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, are, we are being, I think, fairly critical of it. But I also do think that, like you said, Hillary, I was moved by, par- by parts of the episode because, um, you know, the performances are good. The show looks nice. Like, and also, we've been, I've been watching it for however many years, you know, and mm. six seasons. And, and I think that in that way, it, it had an impact. I just, I don't know, maybe, they, they, maybe there was no perfect way to end this show because there's just... The story is still is still ongoing. You yeah. Know? Still watching. We'll be back in just a moment, and when we return, a conversation with executive producer Suzanne Mackey. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q and A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So, there were definitely a few surprises in the series finale of The Crown. Yeah, we got the Nazi costume, we got Olivia Coleman, we got Claire Foy. Yes, we did. So how did it all come together? Well, we got a chance to take a peek behind the curtain with executive producer Suzanne Mackey. Uh, She's been working closely with Peter Morgan since the inception of the series. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Um, Does it feel sort of unreal that after all of these years and, you know, all (laughs) of this time that the the crown is finally winding to a close? Absolutely weird, yeah. It's... it's 
yeah, I it, it's been 11 years for me. Wow. Um, and sort of every single day, pretty much seven days a week, um, I, the crown has featured heavily in my life. So it's very... Um, it's very mixed emotions. We keep talking about it amongst us. Sort of, I talk to Peter Morgan every day and quite a few of us are still sort of working together every day. And we, we, we're all now going, oh my God, this might be the final get together or this might be the final moment. Well, the, you know, there are milestones now we're hitting where you go that this, this really is the end. So it's, yeah, it's sad. And well, it really does go out um, on a high note. On a high note and in a really sort oh, of emotional, emotional note. I mean, to end such a, a large and epic series. It feels like it's sort of hard to figure out how exactly to do that and to end with the queen and the three queens, really. Uh, I would love to know um, how, you know, you and Peter Morgan uh, conceived of having the three queens. Yeah, how, how long was the ending kind of in the works and how did you land on that? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mean, funny enough, I remember talking to Peter about the three queens, possibility of having all three queens as long ago as season two, I think we first started talking about it. And I, and I think we just said, God, one day, can you imagine when we get to episode 10 of season six, that wouldn't it be wonderful to have all three? And of course, you you know, those ideas are very abstract and, you know, those things can never be inorganically imposed. They have to come from story. They have to come from a moment. You can't just sort of plonk them in there and then find sort of go, okay, what what would be our reason to have all three queens in one scene? But I think in a funny sort of way, having three queens in, in the final episode almost felt like part of the grammar of the whole show in that the changing of the cast became such a significant part of the identity of the crown that we're travelling through time, we're, we're telling a life story and you get to know so intimately the younger queen and the younger Prince Philip and Charles and so on, and then the middle, the middle years, and then the older years. And somehow we've always flashed back to our previous cast. You know, there's always been a reference to them. There's always been mm-hmm. an, an allusion to them, as if somehow they never leave us. They are somehow the younger, the younger self is always part of the present day self. And that it's almost like a sort of they're almost haunting the episodes. They're almost haunting. I, I, it's hard to describe it, but it's an it's an emotional feeling of of knowing that you know whether it's Vanessa Kirby's Margaret or Helena Bonham Carter's Margaret, they their presence still feels so strong. And so, when we got to episode ten of season six, I think we knew also the Queen had died, mm-hmm. and I think that gave it a whole other almost a stronger need to to remember her younger years and our younger years and to sort of somehow part back to Claire, who feels very different to Olivia's Elizabeth. And, mm-hmm. and Imelda's Elizabeth is very different to all, both of them as well. And just to somehow have all three in, a, in the same space felt like a tribute to our show. Leslie Manville, when I talked to her for episode eight, she said that the queen died while they were filming, um, you know, the scenes between Princess Margaret and uh, Queen Elizabeth. Um, That had to be, you know, sort of a really difficult thing to sort of go through while you're filming this series. So how much did that affect, I guess, the final episode, going into the final episode, having it be so much about the queen's mortality? 
Yeah, I think that's exactly that. It did it did change it. There's no denying it. It was Stephen Daldry's idea to have a reference to the planning of the funeral, and that suddenly felt really beautiful. And of course, that is what happened. She would every few years plan. They would have a planning meeting about her funeral. It's a very big conversation. So the idea then for dramatizing that scene came as a result of her dying and it felt like a very beautiful tribute for us to do organically and it felt very very motivated by respect and a love for her and a sort of tribute to her that we could do that and somehow have a sense of what we know now permeate the final episode in a sense of her considering contemplating the loss of her contemplating the world without her and I think one of the biggest influences, funny enough, for the episode came from her actual funeral. A number of us watched it together. We'd stopped filming, as you know, when she died. The day of the funeral, we stopped filming as well. But we were, many of us together, because we were filming abroad. And so a number of us, the actors, Leslie Manville and Khalid Abdullah, all got together and we watched it together in a room and we were silent for the entire funeral. We didn't talk. We just sat and watched this extraordinary thing. And I think the thing that we were all so struck by was the music. Mm. And um, I remember the moment where the piper was at the top of Westminster Abbey, just quietly with tremendous dignity, just playing on the bagpipe. And then he moved the bagpipe, carried on playing as he walked out silently, very quietly. He walked out of the Abbey with the music just drifting out into the distance and it faded away. And I thought it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen and heard and that it was such a beautiful tribute to her. And afterwards, I talked to Imelda Staunton about it and she said that that for her was the most abiding, beautiful moment in the funeral. And I said, oh, I completely agree. And out of that, we talked to Peter Morgan and out of that came the idea for the, bag, for the bagpipe mm. player and the, the moment in the Abbey. Um, it just felt like... A sort of perfect tribute to her. Is there any, you know, documented, uh, I, I, evidence seems like the wrong word, but is there anything documented about, you know, why the Queen did choose that song? Do you know? No, I don't know. Mm. I don't know, actually. But it felt that we needed to have Sleep Deary Sleep in the episode and that it felt so very her. And really what we wanted was the focus to be on the Queen. We started with the Queen and we needed to end with her. Mm. So, yes, but there was no doubt that her passing hugely changed the atmosphere of, of episode 10. Yeah. Mm. Was there uh, any discussion about whether or not you should, you know, have the Harry storyline in there? Like, because it, it does sort of feel like an outlier that that feels a little bit like the beginning of the Harry story in a way. And, you know, the crown can't really delve fully into it because the show is ending. Yeah. You know, you have to be truthful to what was happening at the time, whether mm. it be Tony Blair and Iraq and you know what was happening with those with the characters and I think you know they the brothers were close and we didn't want to start trying to depict a relationship that was that you know what we know now wasn't necessarily then and it would be dishonest and disingenuous of us to try and impose now on then but I think you know what you want to do is start seeing what might be small fractures small cracks that you might then understand why why they are maybe as they are now and that history repeats itself. So whether it was mm. Princess Margaret and Elizabeth as the sort of the heir and the spare 
and the number two, that's been a recurring scene from right at the beginning when we had even the Duke of Windsor and his brother and, you know, the abdication story and, and one feeling not right to the throne and the other feeling absolutely right to the throne. And so in many ways, that theme, that story has proliferated from the beginning. And what does that do to you as a, in, mm. in terms of family dynamic? How does that affect you? And I think history has told us what it, what it did. Mm. And all we can do is re- try and reflect that and allow an audience to come to it and make up their own mind. But we've always, uh, we rather love Harry. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We rather love Harry. We really love Luther as the actor playing him. I think mm. he's, he's marvellous. And William as well. I mean, I think the, the young cast, Meg, Ed, Luther, were really like a delightful end chapter. I think I speak for both of us when I say that we would absolutely watch a spare series. Oh. If you decided to do that. A hundred percent. It's really... I know, I would too. Trust me, I would too. It's got to be done with the fullness of time, though, when Peter Morgan can never write within. You know, the reason we finish now isn't because we ran out of story. My goodness, there's so much more story. <laughs> so it's much. because... He can't, and, and this is, you know, hats off to Peter as a dramatist and the smartness of Peter as a dramatist is that he needs perspective. He needs to have some historical distance. He needs to be able to judge it and deconstruct it with the fullness of time. And I think if he's writing it now within, all he can do is either write it satirically or journalistically. He can't necessarily write it with a full nuance and what he does so well is come at things from so many different perspectives and simply then tell the story as he sees it, often without judgment. Other writers could do it, but Peter as a particular dramatist needs to know what those complex complex layers are to really understand them. I was really um, taken uh, by the Queen's you know, internal struggle as to whether or not to stay on the throne. And I, I wonder, I know there's a lot of research that goes into the crown. Uh, I would love to know how that became the central arc yeah. of this episode and how true to, you know, was she, was there a note card that she really passed over? Was she really about to step down at Charles and Camilla's I think, wedding? Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting when Peter makes his choices in terms of dramatic license. I think that would be... Uh, an example of him using his imagination. I think it was at a time where there were some abdications that had happened in Europe, in the Netherlands, there had been an abdication. So I remember at the time, we did talk about this, people were speculating about it. It had been something that had been talked about. But constitutionally and in her personality, she would never abdicate. She'd know that. And so Peter would never dream of saying this is a conversation she was having seriously with anyone it was purely a conversation in her head. He simply wanted to imagine what that conversation in her head might have been like. It gave him some poetic license to explore something in within her head that mm. she sh- simply wouldn't have shared with anyone else, even her husband. Wow. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely poetic license. Yeah. Um, so Claire Foy and Olivia Coleman, obviously very, very busy, very uh, full schedules. Was it difficult to get them back to film those final scenes? To an extent, yeah, in that they are busy, exactly that, just trying to get them to fit in with our schedule and our schedule to fit in with their schedules. <laughs> it it was, was difficult, yeah. But it was our final, it was our penultimate day at York Minster where we'd taken over York Minster, Westminster Abbey. Mm. And that final scene when the Queen walks the length of the hall to that door 
and lets in the light and then it closes was was we only had one minute left to film it literally one minute left really? otherwise we go into overtime and it would have been that would have been a very big pressure for us and so we were all gathered around the monitor with Stephen Daldry and when they said action and Imelda started to walk it did think oh my god we've got it because then technically it was a difficult shot there were lots of cameras the lighting mm. the ticking clock um, and I had Behind me and Stephen Daldry and the um, Adriano, the the DP, we had Claire and Olivia watching, and then we got Imelda all the way to the door, and she, the door opened and she walked out into the thing, and the door slammed, and we all looked at each other and went, "We got it, we got it," and it was incredibly emotional. Wow! Not because not because oh thank God we haven't got into overtime, but because <laughs> <laughs> because in a way there was something very pure in that last final walk. It felt like we were all gathered together. It was like the endeavour of, you know, a journey of a thousand steps, if you like, wow. was sort of suddenly playing out in front of us, that that simple, slow, long walk to a door was, um, in a way, a sort of metaphor for the for the whole journey of, of our journey. And the fact that Claire and Olivia were there to witness it was sort of extraordinary. And we all, in a really rather... Anyone who doesn't work in the film business might consider us to be lovers in that moment. We all did turn and hug and have a bit of a tear in the eye. It felt very emotional because it felt like the door had just shut on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you was, you said that that was the penultimate day. What what was the last day? The the last day by complete and it was it was the antithesis in many ways. All but but actually just as much. Just as fun, but more fun. <laughs> that that day was somber and magisterial. Beautiful and humbling, really mm-hmm. humbling. Partly because of the the physical space we were in was just so just so glorious. The next day we were doing Charles and Camilla's wedding, <laughs> where they arrive in the minibus, and there was a you know, and that felt like a, a, a sort of knees up. Um, and the band played, and the sun shone, and we took taken over. It felt like a British, a British, a very typical British day out at the seaside, you know, where everyone sort of lets their hair down and sings along in a very British way. And that it that it had that spirit, which was really fantastic as well. So we when we finished, when the first AD said, that's a wrap, and that is a wrap, that was it. <clears throat> we all, we, there was a spontaneous, <laughs> there was a spontaneous dance that broke out in the middle of the streets and everyone started dancing, whether it was Dominic West and uh, all of us, we all, danced around the the pavements and there was a little brass band that kept playing for us and they were playing congratulations (laughs) and it was it was very funny and really lovely and everyone was smiling and then we all just literally went okay bye then bye we all (laughs) got on trains and went home and that was it no rap party that's it wow well we did have a rap party a few weeks later but um but yeah, you sort of tend to just say goodbye to each other and go off and, you know, you modestly get on a train and go home. That's it, with your bag. So what are you hoping that uh, viewers take away from this finale especially and, you know, the the show more generally? Well, you know, one wants to have made, we, you know, we're as a, as a company of, of filmmakers, you know, cast and crew, we are all determined to make great television. And I think if The Crown in the end, has found a place in the canons of television that is well-regarded, then I'm I'm thrilled with that. And I know the love 
we have poured into it, as everyone does when they're making a show. No one does it half-heartedly. <laughs> you know, you don't. You tend to do it with heart and soul. You know, we've we've tried to put our very best foot forward, and and I think the closer we've got to the present day, the more scrutiny there is around our intentions and, you know, the whole thing about accuracy versus truth. And, you know, that can sometimes be hard because you think, oh, well, I know why we told that story in that particular way. I know what Peter meant by that. I know what was intended and it was always well intended. I know what we did and I, I'm proud of it. And I, and I think in the end, let the audience decide. Still Watching will be back in just a moment. And when we return, our final thoughts on The Crown. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah. that. We support that. Very <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So before we close out our season on The Crown forever, uh, I'm curious if either of you feel like The Crown, however much of it you've watched, has changed your perception of the royals positively or negatively. I guess I'll start as the person who's watched the least amount of The Crown, even though now I do want to go back and watch the Claire Foy seasons because there's a lot of interesting—it's fascinating. There's a lot of interesting history, and I do think history is important, and I don't think we should ignore things that are problematic and potentially bad for the world. The Crown, I think watching this, and I'm probably going to echo a little bit of what a lot of the actors that we've talked to have said— if anything, my respect for the institution, the idea that like the, the royal family needs to exist has plummeted, has gone down. It wasn't that high to begin with, but it's definitely lower than before. But I do have empathy and begrudging respect and, yeah, sympathy for people who are thrust in that position and how difficult that can be, right? That these are actually all human beings that have these lives that they opt into every single day, (laughs) which are full of problematic and somewhat terrible stuff. Um, And those who railed against, like our girl Diana, suffered insane consequences, and Dodie and so many others, um, in whatever way they transgressed. But I... I think it's curious. I think it's fascinating. I would watch so much more. I want to read more about it. I want to know more about it. But I do think it is bad. (laughs) If that makes any sense. It being the monarchy. It being the monarchy. Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the show the show protests too much in its support for the monarchy. I I would agree with that. Um, I I think we do have to just give it a lot of credit though for finding new things to say or just, like, uh, for channeling, like, the interest in this most scrutinized, like, family in the history of the world and, like, fi- yeah, just, like, making a case for 
them existing, but also making a case for the show existing. Like, I I think that the Diana stuff especially, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum, and she is just an interest, uh, like, an object of fascination, like, for all the reasons that we've talked about. But, like, The Crown really did do a great job of fleshing her out, giving a new perspective on her, painting her as somebody complicated, you know, not a victim, Mm -hmm. but not just this, like, manipulative schemer and not, like, this crazy woman, uh, like, crazy scorned woman. Like, she's all of those things, and she's, you -hmm. know, also rational, and she's also kind of calculating, but also naive. And she's a good mother. She's fun, and she's flirty. I I don't want to discount the work of, you know, the actresses who have played the queen especially, but I do think that the Diana stuff is where the show has been most successful, most consistent, and, yeah, that where, where it makes, like, the best case for, like, why we care or, like, should care so much about this person specifically. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that if I roll my eyes at, you know, a royal's obsession, I'm, I have to roll my eyes at, like, a Kennedy's obsession. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. this is just something that, like, is part of culture. And I think that, you know, kind of to your point, Chris, about that these people opt in every day, I think that the show made that clear while also showing the undertow of it. It's actually pretty hard to leave this, not mm-hmm. just because there's all of this demand placed on you, but, like, this is still your family. Yeah. And it's the only thing you know. And, of course, money's involved in that. And I think that... The show depicting people who are both trapped in it, but also kind of devoted to it, um, and even Diana to some extent, like she didn't let go a lot of of a lot of the trappings of the life, even though she left the marriage. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way this show, and I don't know that that Peter Morgan or anyone else would, would describe it themselves this way, but like I think the show did a good job and a compelling job throughout the seasons of depicting that sort of like existential stuckness mm-hmm. like yeah. i this is the only thing i know and i can't leave it and that does make me empathize a little bit more with the real people even though yes they could all collectively make the decision maybe follow harry's lead a little bit and say we're going to pack this in yeah we're going <laughs> yeah, to it's I mean, time I to just, pack it up yeah i guess i just i just wanted more of it in terms of you know not just not necessarily like being more critical of the institution or of the people but just mm, yeah not necessarily just trying to prop them up as it did in later in the later seasons like yeah. i just think it i just think it could have done more to illustrate ambiguities and you know not especially you know some of this dialogue is so on the nose in yeah. the last seasons like i i don't know if that's a consequence of i don't know having to wrap things up or or what but yeah i, I just think that there is there is nuance that got kind of muted as the show went on that i wish it that i wish hadn't yeah, right. and yeah. for all my, you know, hemming and hawing, was I moved by the three queens standing together in black as the queen was walking out of the yeah. the chapel? Yeah, I was moved. I thought that was, you know, I got, I understood the importance. I understood why people feel so strongly about her. Do I feel that way? That's, you know, neither here nor there. But, yeah. yeah. Regardless of your feelings, she was a, a figure who loomed large for uh, the better part of a century. And um, that's... That's significant. You can't say that about many people yeah. or many things. And when that score on the crown is really blaring away, you're like, this does feel significant. <laughs> so good, good job all on that. You want to stand and salute. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe you stand, but with my back to them. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well, that does it for this episode and season of Still Watching. But fear not, we will be back very soon in the new year with a new show. I don't know that we're ready to announce that yet, but it's... 
gonna be on it, HBO and stars with Detective? Yeah, maybe <laughs> yeah. even two. It might, it might, it might. Not a false detective. With, yeah, it, it rhymes with uh, blue defective. Yeah. Oh, there you go. And actually, the people on that show are pretty blue pretty. and pretty defective. <laughs> a lot to look forward to. Uh, yeah. So we'll be back on your feed very soon. Um, until then, you can find me at, on various social medias at Rylas R I L A W S. And you can find me on social media at Chris Triss. And you can find me at Hillabuster with two R's. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we have production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Caroga. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. Again, we'll be back in the new year with a new show that we'll be dissecting episode by episode, and we're really looking forward to seeing you then. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.